Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 42 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Amon Woman. I'm Clarice Lockgray. And I'm Hannah Flint. This week, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, doing crossovers like no one can. It's Spider-Man, no way home. We are all very, very excited to talk about this movie. Uh, Olivia Coleman's in for Bad Day at the Beach in Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, The Lost Daughter, and double the Mahershala Ali, double the existential crisis in sci-fi drama Swan Song. Plus, in this week's hot take, we of course dive straight into the Spider-Man No Way Home spoilers we've been dying to talk about, but have not been able to under threat of death by way of Mickey Mouse. I can confirm that there are no longer any red sniper scopes on me, so we are good to go. Hannah, Clarice, there's any red sniper scopes on you? You good? I mean always, forever. (laughs) It's for for different reasons, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get into all of that, how have your weeks been, people? Christmas is nigh. Have you done any shopping yet? No. (laughs) So fucked. Let's not talk about that. (laughs) This has been a mad week, though, because I feel, I mean, I've managed to uh, escape London. (laughs) Uh, I'm in Doncaster at the moment. I'm going to be here till for a few weeks. I'm like, I'm not getting that virus again. (laughs) I feel like that Spider-Man, you know, that gif where it's like dodging like the lightning bolts. That is what it's like in London now, because everyone, like, everyone seems to be getting Omicron. My boyfriend got it. Best mate got it. It's lawless. It's the outer rim. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I leave the house, I feel like, you know, the two towers when King Theoden is like strapping on his armor (laughs) and he has that speech about like the red sun rises. I feel like that every single time I leave the house. Speaking of all the things, I gotta mention it now. Have you seen that clip that Stephen Colbert put together? Yes. <laughs> have, have you seen this? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh! I almost want to pause the podcast so you can go watch this five minutes. This is very weird. My boyfriend watches Stephen Colbert, so this is the type of thing that he would send to me because he sends oh me a lot God. of this like movie stuff. This is this Russell. Is bad. This you is have bad not been doing your. To be fair, he has got COVID, so maybe he's a bit distracted. <laughs> Basically, Stephen Colbert, um, who, you know, we all know is a massive Lord of the Rings fan. By the way, Fellowship of the Ring turns 20 years old this week, uh, which is incredible. It makes me feel a little bit old. Um, But, uh, yeah, he put together this rap um, celebrating Lord of the Rings as the best trilogy. It has Sean Astin. It has Hugo Weaving rapping Elvish. It's got Method Man. It's insane. It's a, if you have not watched this yet, treat yourself. They finally got a black person in in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, but yeah, it was really, really fun. I enjoyed that. Probably the best video I've seen this week. I just want to say, Sean Astin's wearing a gold chain in that video, and then on the end of a gold chain is a potato. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. That's that's, that's how how it goes. Anyway. (laughs) I just get very emotional whenever I see the cares from Lord of the Rings because that was my childhood. Like, I love them like I more than I love my own family. (laughs) (laughs) These people are so precious to me. (laughs) Because when I think about Elijah Wood, I think about Flipper. (laughs) Really? I had such a crush on him in that. And I think that's that's a great movie. It's such a good movie. It made me want to be a marine biologist. I was like, do I want to do this as a job? Um, And I remember we went, I used to live in, when I lived in London, there was Park Royal in Acton, and that's where we always went to the cinema. 
And I remember when Flipper came out and they had like a massive poster. And I was like, Mom, do you think we can get a poster? She actually asked them. But it was like this big six foot one, um, which has remained in our garage the entire time. So twenty over 20 years because wow. it's just too big. <laughs> it's like six foot. <laughs> so it just does not fit anywhere. But yeah. I appreciated mum doing that, but there we go. Yeah, I love it. That is I incredible. It, I, I, I want pictures, Flint. I want pictures. I'll go uh, find it. I am at home, so maybe I'll find it in the garage. I want Elijah Wood to sign it. That would be yes. cool. That'd be amazing. Should I just tweet him? Elijah, just sign my big poster. When when in-person interviews return on mass, you got Elijah Wood. I expect you to drag that thing all the way to London. But enough Elijah Wood chat, it's time for some Olivia Coleman chat because it's time to talk The Lost Daughter. Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. Excuse me, I work at the Beach House. Just let me know if you need anything. Great. Ah, the feminine urge to project one's own internal emotional crisis on Dakota Johnson. <laughs> you really get it, Amon. <laughs> you know I'm saying, you know, I understand I'm just saying, these things. That video of her house tour, I didn't, I didn't get it. It was a nice house, but <laughs> like that's that's a life goal, right? Okay, there. she had limes. I don't know. I don't know what you've won. <laughs> That's a life goal. It right was there. a very nice house, and can I also recommend watching like inside the whatever it is inside celebrity homes architectural digest? It's like yes. it's MTV cribs, but for the thinking woman. <laughs> yeah, the one with David Harbour I really enjoyed because his house is very interesting. <laughs> um, anyway, the lost daughter. Um, a college professor confronts her unsettling past after meeting a woman and her young daughter while on vacation in Italy. Her obsession with the woman and her daughter prompts memories of her early motherhood. This film is written, directed, and produced by Maggie Gyllenhaal in her feature debut. It's adapted from Elena Ferrante's novel of the same name, and the film stars Olivia Coleman, Dakota Johnson, Jesse Buckley, Peter Sarsgaard, Ed Harris, and Paul Mescal. What a cast, my goodness. And don't forget Oliver Jackson Cohen. Him yes. from that Netflix show. That is so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, uh, Oliver Jackson. Go You're a great actor, though. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an incredible cast. Um, I mentioned this is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. I should also mention that I haven't seen this film yet. Chris, uh, what did you make of the direction? I Good job, Maggie. <laughs> Sorry, Ooh. that sounded really patronizing. <laughs> um, I thought it was fantastic, like a fantastic directorial debut. Um, and I I will say I'm not, um, I'm not really familiar with uh, Elena Ferrante's books that I'm a stupid little baby who doesn't read. Uh, I guess, <laughs> but I do. What I do know about her is that there is, um, there is like a a lyricism to her writing, and she uses a lot of like symbolism and metaphors, which I think could be very difficult to translate to film. But Maggie Gyllenhaal does it so beautifully, so that the film both feels 
very grounded and naturalistic and Olivia Colman we'll get to her in a second like you know such a raw real performance but also she manages to incorporate uh, a lot of slightly fantastical elements there's a scene with the uh, cicada that she finds on a pillow dead and like or dying and it's screaming and that was one of the scariest things in any movie I've seen this year it really upset oh, me because yeah. it's a disgusting yeah. large bug (laughs) and she shoots it so like so well because you don't know what the screaming is for a while you're like what the fuck what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) uh so there's so many like very nice little moments like that in the film i wonder because just reading this synopsis like she's confronting her past how do we feel uh that part of the story is told did they do flashbacks did they sort of keep going between the past and the present how do they do that and did it work for you hannah yeah, so I suppose Jessie Buckley is playing the younger version of Olivia Coleman, And I like the way it's quite fractured at the beginning. You don't get like a full picture because you're kind of, I suppose Olivia Coleman has gone on this holiday and she's she's confronted by like a mother and daughter and it makes her, you know, forces her to confront her own past and her own motherhood. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> what I love about this film is it feels like a really honest conversation an understanding of why motherhood is not for everyone and I suppose what women often have to sacrifice and actually you know there's this idea like you can have it all and actually you know I don't know I mean you can but also you can't especially depending on your circumstances like not everyone has the ability not every one mother feels feels motherly and you know so they're kind of forced into these situations um and I think the kind of the way that we slowly build to what's going on in the past and this kind of like of how she feels about motherhood. And I love the way that it's like teased out. It's not, it's very careful and considered. Um, and it's also quite non-judgmental. That's what I really like about it too. I always am intrigued uh, when it comes to actors who become directors because they know just because of what they've done previously, how to really get those really great performances from their cast. Is this another case of that, Clarice? Yes, Olivia Colman, I just... The thing I love so much about Olivia Colman as an actor, and you see it a lot in this film, is that she adds this weight and this poetry to what would seem to be very ordinary, like, pedestrian emotions. And so there's a scene, you know, quite early on where she's settling down to the beach. Poor Mascot comes over and like fusses over her for a bit. She's got a book. She's ready to settle down. And then these fucking Americans come over. (laughs) (laughs) Being loud little fucking Americans. (laughs) And the look on her face, the look of irritation, it's it's so British. (laughs) Yeah, it's It's so um beautifully done it's beautiful uh it's poetic and i feel like a lot of other actors would sort of toss off that screen as like toss off that scene as like you know whatever doesn't really matter it's not the part the emotional heart of the movie but the way that she like what seems like a very ordinary moment in her life immediately as an audience you're like there is something behind that emotion Mm. of irritation there's some kind of pain there and you see it on her face and that is like that to me is like top tier 
acting. Yeah. Olivia Coleman just. Mm. Mm. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of speaking of scenes where it's like, I mean, I said I relate to this film. But there's also a scene later on where she's in a movie, uh, and I will not give any more away. <laughs> but like, I was just so on her side, and I was in that moment with her. I was really in that moment with her. Yeah. And I think what I like about, well, I think this is such a good directorial debut for Maggie and why she does it so well. I think there is something about directors who were actors first. I think that they bring out really great performances. And I think actually, in a way, sometimes they're better, they can be better directors because they have that empathy and understanding of the process and giving what the actor needs. And what I find amazing about this film is that all four of the lead female characters are, are women who I could totally imag- imagine Maggie Gyllenhaal playing herself. Mm. Mm. Even though they're very different, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal, like like from Dakota Johnson's kind of, you know, young, sexy, kind of, uh, I suppose, suffering from like ennui of her life to like Olivia Coleman's kind of frantic. Like I've seen elements of Maggie Gyllenhaal in other films and this, and it's like, oh, no wonder this is so good because she mm. knows these these are women that she could bring alive. And I think it's clear that she's managed to, I suppose, refine and, I, I mean, to be honest, they're great actors anyway, but... Well, yeah, I was I was going to ask about Jessie Buckley because I liked her in Beast and I loved her in Wild Rose. Like, Wild Rose was the film that I was like, okay, I need to pay attention to whatever this woman is doing in the rest of her career because she is incredible. And after that, you had Judy, which she doesn't do much in, Doolittle, which she doesn't do much in, the Courier, she plays the wife of Benedict Cumberbatch. She doesn't get much to do. Um, uh, I haven't seen Misbehaviour. And I'm thinking of ending things I just found weird more than anything else. Um, <laughs> so how is she in The Lost Daughter? Like, does she get, like, a really prominent role? And, you know, really is... How impactful is she on the story? And, yeah. Yeah, she is. She's Because she's... Mm. As I said, she's a younger version of the right, Coleman. Right, right. And so it's very much... But I just... I think... You know, every every I suppose most actors have sometimes have marks on their CV because they're like, depending mm. on the releases and I suppose getting money and stuff like that. Like, you know, Wild Rose obviously is like an indie gem. She probably did yeah. do a little because she's like, well, this is easy, quick, easy money, and I'm only doing a voice role. Isn't that what she's doing? Isn't it? No, oh, Wild Rose. She's doing everything. She's like on stage. She she plays. No, I'm not um... talking about Wild Rose. I'm talking about Doolittle. <laughs> Oh, right, she... no, in Doolittle, so she plays, what like, she? The, the, the queen or something. Oh, she's the queen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like a day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'll do this, get yeah. a bit of, like, I just, like, studio money. I expected her to hit the stratosphere after Wild Rose. But like, she also did, yeah, but Romeo she also did Romeo and Juliet, which, you know. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I feel, and also, you know, Charlie, doing a Charlie Kaufman movie is a pretty big deal. So, mm. it's, uh, so, you might not like it, I'm on, but. I didn't. <laughs> I think Jesse has, I just think Jesse Buckley has really established herself as, um, you know, I compare it to someone like Ruth Neger in the sense of, you know, she's she's doing impactful, meaningful roles, and yet there's a few that are kind of like sprinkled in there, which are kind of like, wait, what was this about? But you know, I don't think that is a detrimental to her trajectory and her career path. Um, but and she's doing cabaret now, which I would love to have seen, but there's no way I'm getting tickets. It's <laughs> like two hundred fifty pound a ticket. Yeah. Or something. What? It's wow. insane. I saw someone tweet about that. And I thought, I'll just oh. imagine what it would be like in my head. It's fine. <laughs> But there's no need to imagine what The Lost Daughter can look like because it is available in cinemas now. Uh, it's time for our screen stream or skip recommendations. Clarice. Screen. Hannah. 
screen and then watch it again on Netflix. Let's keep the emotional turmoil going as uh, time to talk swan song. I still can't believe it. They're going to fall in love with a new little person again. <laughs> Just breathe. I'm gonna count you down from three. And on three, and two, and one. Three. I can't lie to my family anymore. You know what? I will give this movie props for, like, if I cloned myself and there was two of me, <laughs> I would not be able to resist having sex with myself <laughs> and i would really really want to commend uh his character in this for not being like oh come on let's see what it's like it's luckily i did not expect you to take <laughs> this podcast in this direction this morning How, okay. i feel like you would though you just to be like what is it like because you know if can i be involved in the mahershala ali <laughs> Double. I'll, I'll do MFM. <laughs> I'll be inside that sandwich. <laughs> like it's a learning exercise. Making them on blush. It's how you improve. <laughs> it's how you improve. It's true. I just turned white. No. <laughs> oh, Anyways, I don't know what to say about it. it's Swan Song. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a uh, high-concept sci-fi drama, which is set in the near future, uh, and it is a powerful emotional journey told through the eyes of Cameron, Mahershala Ali's character, a loving husband and father diagnosed with a terminal illness who is presented with an alternative solution by his doctor, played by Glenn Close, the woman you would want to cure you, (laughs) (laughs) to shield his family from grief. As Cam grapples with whether or not to alter his family's fate, he learns more about life and love than he ever imagined. Swan Song explores how far we will go and how much we're willing to sacrifice to make a happier life for the people we love. It's written and directed by Benjamin Cleary in his feature debut, and it also stars Naomi Harris, Aquafina, and Adam Beach. Uh, so I guess that, yeah, this is one of those movies where it's a imagine-if kind of film and i wondered amon what did you think of that central concept and how was it explored this idea of cloning yourself so you can extend life i thought it was really well done uh for the most part when it was you know the film primarily really is focused on uh that uh cameron jack relationship um jack is the name of the clone um of cameron um, and when you know the film, you know, focuses on their relationship, it's really, really good because you do get into questions of mortality. You do get into questions of, you know, how exact is the copy going to be, and sort of, do I need to? There's a big sort of you know running uh, question in Cameron's mind in terms of, do I tell my wife? Can I make this decision without her? When you begin to learn more of what that family as a whole has been through, then more resonance comes with that as well. So I think they explored all those questions in a really compelling way. Uh, that is the thing that I enjoyed most, in addition to Mahershala's performance, which we'll get into, I'm sure, very soon. Yeah, I feel like I, I slightly disagree, because it's, I mean, the idea of cloning yourself, 
there's a lot of ethical questions that comes up with that like does the clone have any free will or agency do they want to continue life like um you know is there's this whole thing about you know how to make because they have to make the transition seamless they cannot tell the family that the a clone's coming in to take over to like tap over like it's a marathon um mm. and so cameron has to make this decision on behalf of his wife on behalf of his family and there's this what i think is a like a narrative out that benjamin clary creates where he he has this scene where naomi harris's character poppy goes wow wow if if i could clone my dead mother oh, so yeah. i could mm. spend more time with her i totally would i would consent <laughs> to that decision and it's a bit like okay this makes everything very convenient when the reality of what this thing is is <laughs> like extremely complicated and and does you know cross quite a few lines like the glenn close's character the doctor character has basically invented immortality and i feel like the film never really you know <laughs> i i wondered hannah what you thought because there's i i think that's all done so to focus on the marriage between poppy and cameron uh, what did you think of how their relationship was depicted and was it worth spending so much time with them i guess oh yeah i i i <laughs> I, was, I was just like i wish they were a couple in real life i just they their meet you was just oh, perfect so yeah um you know i mean last time we saw them together on screen was in Moonlight, and she was in a far worse place than she is in this. Um, I think what I, I think they have brilliant chemistry, and I think that's what really holds it together. I think, in a way, I think you're right, Clarice. I think it was less interested in, um, I suppose, looking at the kind of grey area, the grey area of ethics, what, what a story like this, you know, breeds. But I think it was very meditative on the Kaispo's love. I think this is what it is, fundamentally is, and love and grief and how we process that. And I think I re I, the way in which, you know, what we understand about their relationship and what they've been through, what you realise is that this whole, this whole situation is forcing him to kind of answer his own questions about himself, himself and, you know, what loss does and, um, you know, what, what it means if you're not there, if you're not present. And I suppose, mm. you know, sure, there is a movie where you could get into the kind of deep ethical situation, but I think fundamentally this is like a beating heart, this film. This was about, you know, I suppose it's probably come from a place, I assume it's come from a place where someone has lost someone potentially young. It, what, would, what, what, what would it be? What would it be, you know, if you had that opportunity? And, and how would you feel about it witnessing potentially someone coming in? And, and I suppose... You know, it's about, I suppose it's about as closure, but also setting up a life. And I, I really, you know, I really, re I really like that. And I like the fact that, you know, neither of the characters are kind of perfect human. They're quite flawed in their own way. And I don't think that this would have been, this film would have worked if it wasn't for Mahershala and Naomi, who have just got these just glints in their eyes. They've just got this, they're just so... I felt every little emotion that they were going through. Mahershala especially. I mean, mm. Jesus Christ, that man. Can you believe this is his first lead role in a film? 
actually mad. Yeah, um, I mean, it's so but, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, but then, it, you know, if you say that, look at Octavia Spencer. I mean, like, I know. <laughs> oh my God. she's rarely um, had a lead role in anything. Wasn't, like, Ma her first, like, kind of lead role? Yeah, you're right. Wild. Um, but, yeah, no, you mentioned fatherhood there. There's an added resonance because it's, talk, it's about black fatherhood and there's a lot of stuff historically on screen about the absence of black fathers and the impact that, that has on kids. So I, I like that as well. Um, I think with these films, it's tricky because there's a balance between all the questions it wants to pose and not fully outright answering all of them um, because it wants to leave you, the audience, with sort of the questions and then to think about it afterwards. I think they get that balance right. And I think you're right, Hannah, in that this is a relationship drama first, sci-fi movie second. If those equations were not even reversed, but more balanced out, then I would want more of how the wider world sees something like this and, you know, this thing exists. What do other people in the world think of it and everything else? But because the film is so clearly focused on that relationship first and foremost, you're not really asking those questions. At least mm. I wasn't asking those questions. My impression is that this is still like in the beta testing. <laughs> do you get yeah. what I mean? Because it seems... Because no one talks about the cost of it. The, the fact that it was a, I suppose, a character study and performance mm -hmm. about this man and, you know, how uh, his character and then like, Aquafina's character, I like how people react to this kind of situation. Um, I, I, yeah, I felt, I felt, yeah, it felt really moving. I don't know, it kind of reminded me of like um, Vanilla Sky a bit. <laughs> I mean, let's get, I feel like we're dancing around the performances and everyone wants to talk about Mahasha Ali and how good he is in this. I mean, Mon. Dub double two. It's two. Two of them. I know. Feels like he was making up for lost time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's just so great. Um and you know, it's a tricky thing when it when it comes to those performances because, you know, actors they like um discovery and improvisation. I think some of that goes away when you have to be as specific as you have to be playing a clone of yourself in the movie like this. But I feel that there's still moments where you do get that coming from Mahershala, uh, which is incredible. Um, but there's a clear difference between Cameron and Jack in spite of all that. Um, it's just a really tremendous performance. I can't wait to see him in many more lead roles, including Blade, uh, which I'm very excited for. <laughs> yeah, it's the same where they have an argument and it's like the very like micro differences mm -hmm in them is so hard to do. Um, Hannah, I wondered why, also to talk about the performances as well, because everyone is, is yeah. <laughs> but yeah. also I wondered if you could talk a little bit about like how the future is His represented. costume, because I loved every single outfit this man wore. <laughs> yeah, also, like, the beanie gave us beanies, yeah. yeah, this is the thing. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I thought this was such a brilliant movie to look at, <laughs> not least because of my Herschel's face. Love him. <laughs> He's just got such a refined face. Um, it's just captures so much. It's kind of like Mads Mikkelsen. That's who I compare him to, actually. He says a lot without saying anything at all. But I really, what I liked about this film is the um, the kind of how they depicted the future. What's the word? I felt quite quite simplistic, minimal, but um, it felt like a logical extrapolation from where we are now. Yeah, yeah. 
It's just about like, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, where he's getting the coffee made from, and it like, you know, the kind of white. It's like, oh, this looks very I, you know, I, Mac or whatever type of thing. <laughs> yeah. The little robot at the beginning that's like, what's <laughs> up, my man? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, they would, they would fucking make little robots that like talk to you like that. <laughs> yeah. I hated it, but also it was very realistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like the watch and the way he has this like, the, the cars yeah. and all that and but also his yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I sometimes think sci-fi's sci-fi always has to be this kind of grimy rain like Blade Runner do you know what I mean it has a certain thing like cold and actually this film was even though I mean it was, I was wondering where it shot because I was like oh this is even Oregon of Canada and it turns out it's shot in Vancouver and I just thought this is quite warm it felt lived in like it felt like yeah like you said this is I can imagine this this could be us in like 50 years time I the one thing I wish this movie had more of in terms of its cast and it just I wish Naomi had more to do I wish Aquafina had more to do I even even Glenn Close I think gets shortchanged a little bit um I would have liked more meat on the bones for those characters but when it comes to Mahershala's Cameron and Jack, which is where the heart of the movie is, it's fantastic. So I think that leads us nicely into our... So for this, it's going to be a stream or skip. It's available on Apple TV, if you have that service. <laughs> Iman, stream or skip? Stream. Double the Mahershala. Hannah. Need I say more? <laughs> Kind of stream. Stream, stream. And I would also stream, despite I'd had many. Maybe I just was overthinking it, but I had a lot of questions afterwards. <laughs> 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 and you know what? We also have a lot of questions about <laughs> Spider-Man. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows, you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. And they say that a Spidey could save us. I'm not, not gonna, gonna stand, stand here away. I'll hold on to the web of a spider. Watching as we all but... fly away. Here we go. Nickelback's biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm so yes. high, I can hear heaven. Bonus, uh, bonus uh, <laughs> clip of Amon doing the entire song. Uh, what, what, which one was that? Was that Spider-Man 3? No, that's Spider-Man 1. Spider-Man 1. Spider-Man 1. 2001. Jesus. Believe me, the way Jesus. I rinsed that song at 13. Uh, yeah, I was, was I 13 or 12? I was, I was around that age. I rinsed it a lot. I played it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a question for you. Better song for like an early noughties superhero movie. Knuckleback Hero. Evanescence, Bring Me to Life for Daredevil. Oh, Evanescence. Really? That's interesting. That's interesting. I actually sang that for like New Year's last year. We did karaoke and we had to pick songs for each other and we'll go for and chose Evanescence. We are totally doing my voice. Like karaoke at some point in 2022. Yeah, one, yeah purely songs <laughs> from, purely songs that are on soundtracks. 
Um, <laughs> I'll do Faith Hill from uh, what's it called Armageddon. <laughs> very good, very good. Or don't want to close my eyes, don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, that's oh, it. Well, that's well, it. Armageddon. Oh, I'm thinking Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Faith Hill did Pearl Harbor. Oh, Aerosmith magic is was... happening right now. There we go. Right. That, we'll, say, we'll save that. <laughs> Guys, we've got to talk about Spider-Man. With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, our friendly neighbourhood web-slinger is unmasked. But also do wear your masks. <laughs> please, just in real life. Please wear your masks. Please, please wear your masks. <laughs> He's unmasked within the world. This world, it's allowed. Um, but we don't want it. There's uh, no COVID-19 in the There's no COVID-19 in there. And that's the trade-off. Everyone flipped for five years, but there's no COVID-19. Yeah. So I don't know which one you want to choose. Go for it. We like this multiverse and this multiverse and this one. Okay. Uh, the web slinger is unmasked and no longer able to separate his normal life as Peter Parker from the high stakes of being a superhero. When Peter asks for help from Doctor Strange, the stakes become even more dangerous forcing him to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. Directed by John Watts for the third time, the film stars Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob Batalon, John Favreau, Marissa Tomei, and then, of course, as we know from the trailer, we've got some old faces, including Jamie Foxx as Electro, Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, Alfred Molina as Doc Ox, Ox, Doc Ock. <laughs> uh, and who else we got? Thomas Hayden as Lizard and T- Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman Flint. Marco had to say the Flint because, yeah, <laughs> of course. It's got to stick together. So, um, this is going to be a spoiler-free review. Make sure you tune in later. We'll definitely massively signpost that when we get into proper spoilers. So I suppose my first thing, as we know, this is going to be quite nostalgia heavy. How do we feel the story as a whole balances that nostalgia for past franchises, but also continuing this story uh, within this kind of massive MCU web narrative, pun intended, Um, but also as a trilogy, this is kind of a big one, but as a trilogy, how does it progresses Tom Holland's Peter Parker and where he finally is in his kind of superhero career. Amon. Some questions. Um, I think it did a fantastic job of focusing the storyline, the narrative on Tom Holland's Peter Parker. This was actually one of the concerns that I had about this movie going in because we've seen Spider-Man 3s before that have overstuffed uh, their narrative with... I like how you villains. said, we've seen Spider-Man 3s before. There's one. <laughs> we have seen a say, Spider-Man 3 before. Did I miss one of the Andrew Garfield movies? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have seen a Spider-Man 3 before. Is, 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 that, is that better, Hannah? You, you happy now? Yeah. You good? Okay, good. I like that. I'm pedantic. <laughs> I'm pedantic about Peter. <laughs> we have seen the Spider-Man Peter. 3 before. Sorry, where... I just love saying Peter. Peter Parker. <laughs> so, I'll stop. We have seen the Spider-Man thing before where they've overstuffed everything and it didn't work. Um, so, yeah, uh, it really uh, worked in this regard. You feel focused on Tom Holland's Peter Parker throughout the narrative, throughout everything that goes, that's going on with the nostalgia, with the multiverse, with the Doctor Strange elements. Everything or the vast majority of the movie is through Tom Holland's Peter Parker's eyes. So I like that. 
in terms of how it progresses, um, his arc and his journey that began with civil war and has taken up, taken us up to this point. Again, I think it did a fantastic job. It, feel, it feels like Peter has, has matured almost over two movies by the time uh, No Way Home uh, completes, um, because there's so much that he goes through, and there's such a new level of understanding about what it takes to uh, be Spider-Man and the sacrifices that comes along with being somebody who can affect change the way that he can. Um, so by the end of this movie, on that level, it works as well. Um, and you know, we'll talk more about sort of how he gets there, especially in the spoiler section. Um, but I felt very satisfied on that level too. Clarice, were you satisfied? <laughs> I mean, I guess. I feel like the... I said that very sultry. <laughs> satisfied. <laughs> Sorry. No. I, 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 <laughs> um, I, th- I guess the difference between like me and you guys is that I don't I don't really have any nostalgia about Spider-Man. I was an X-Men child, if oh. anything. Um, oh, I'd sweet, seen sweet the original X-Men ones. X-Men child. <laughs> I, <sighs> I liked it all, though. Like, I'm nostalgic for all. I just love Marvel. I'm Keanu Reeves, where it's like, I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. Gosh, I love Marvel. I I've, seen, Marvel. I've seen your tweets in regards to that. You can place the quote with Marvel and like do that. Yeah, thanks for liking it, Amon. Thanks for the I, support. I Didn't I like it? You did not. What? I'm going to do that right now. I think now. what you should do is go <laughs> retweet. <laughs> <laughs> can we just continue talking while I like how um, tweet? <laughs> so, yeah. So, I was going into this, I guess like as just a movie and not anything else um but you and, to be fair you had rewatched or well watched again all I, the movies yeah prior. so i'd seen the toby Maguire spider-men's when they came out but i was like that's cool i remember really liking the second one re-watching it my god it slaps <laughs> <laughs> and then i'd never seen the andrew garfield spider-men's so i watched those for the that's first time that's very surprising considering how much of a garfield garfield Garfield? Andrew Garfield, yeah. Why was I... For some reason, I like Garfield, and then suddenly the cat popped in my head, and I was like, yeah. Garfield. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a fan of all Garfields, cats and men. Oh, that's fine, one. <laughs> um, I did just like one tweet. I like three. You happy yeah, now? Yeah. yeah. I want you to set Google alerts for every time I tweet. Will you still be a fan of all Garfields once Chris Pratt plays him, Clarice, is the question, though. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Let's not, let's not talk about Chris Pratt. Don't, don't ruin it. Don't sorry, no sorry, I'm ruining the vibe. Continue. No comment. Uh, but you know what? Like, so I was, I guess I was looking at this through quite a like critical lens because I didn't have that much emotional attachment to it. And I think they did a really good job. Like, it is very nostalgic and, you know... It was nice to see everybody cheer when, like, Doc Ock appeared. It's like, oh, the tentacles, cool. But there was always an emotional reason for things to happen. And I think that is always the really crucial difference between what, for me, is, like, cynical, (laughs) really cynical, exploitative nostalgia, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and what they did here, which was okay, well, let's take a moment to really think about why people have an emotional attachment to Spider-Man. What is it about him? And I think not only is that done through the references, but also through 
the Tom Holland, his performance, because mm. what I really like him about him as Spider-Man is that he gets that Spider-Man just like, he just wants to be loved, <laughs> which like, you know, he lost his parents and like, he's been through a lot and he's, he's just looking for love and, and affirmation. And, you know, that's why I think that's why he had Tony Stark as this mentor. Like, I know, you know, sometimes as we talk about how they did overdid that in the other movies, but I think this one is still able to explore those themes but uh, I guess like to connect it more to Spider-Man himself without Tony yeah. Stark. Yeah, and I and I think that's I think what I've been missing as much as I enjoyed the previous two films. What's been missing to me is what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. Um, and so far, we've got he's been so wrapped up in kind of big world-ending kind of things that like we've never i think the, the the focus on the friendly neighborhood spider-man and the reason why he becomes it and the i suppose you know things that make him who he is i i think they've only brushed on this really i think you know he's been used as a way to kind of like you know further i don't know i i for me i feel like spider-man has been used more to humanize tony stark than the other way around Personally, that's what I see it as, and that's what I found frustrating. It felt like you're introducing this character just to give this, like, kind of rich billionaire, like, a heart or something. I don't know. Um, and not to shade on Tony Stark, I mean, he's gone for a whole thing, but. The man died to save the universe, Hannah. Put some respect so on his name. Black Widow, mate. <laughs> like, so what? People die, that's the job. It's not real, no guys. No one's doing murals. No one actually died. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there where's the murals for Natasha Romanoff? That's all I'm going to say. And also, can we all forget, like, Tony Stark was in weapons, right? He sold all these weapons to half these people. He's still a capitalist billionaire. Like, I feel like, you know, two people talk about the red the red in Natasha Romanoff books. How about, like, the red in his ledger? Like, yeah, anyway, sorry. That's, yeah, that's fuck it. Tony Stark. Yeah, fuck oh Tony Stark. God. I'm sorry, fuck <laughs> Tony Stark. Um, but I, I suppose for me, I think, and, and you know, you, nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, that's what I've become uneasy with. And, you know, there's been a, a few movies I've seen really, like, uh, one of the movies that I've seen recently that I was really disappointed by because it engaged with nostalgia in a way that felt like... Um, just a cash grab it felt like oh my god you're doing exactly this what i hate when people do like remakes or whatever like that um i, but I think this one what you're talking about even though i haven't seen well uh, you know, <laughs> I, i'm i'm legally obliged not to say i've got some i've got a red snot red dot on my head <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, but it felt like it, this in a way was quite a corrective movie for me now i suppose um you know how much i care about aunt may as a character and, you know, and this isn't even going to spoil it, but I finally feel that after, you know, two films where she's been unfairly maligned as simply the hot aunt, who's not enough, this film finally gives her her dues. It felt like we finally got justice and finally had a well-rounded story. And I wondered, like, how much you guys felt uh, about that. I mean, Clarice, did you feel that it kind of served, served her and you realise why Marissa Tomei find, signed up for this franchise in the first place. Yes. I think I think it is a little hard when, like, as you say, the idea of corrective narratives. 
I always have a little bit of a hard time like buying those because it's like, well, why don't you do that in the other movies? <laughs> it's because I wrote several strongly worded <laughs> articles yes. and tweets, and as we know, Marvel follows my Twitter. That's why they cast Mahershala as Blade. <laughs> I think you. I wonder I if it was that though. Right. You know, sometimes you're like, did did I make that much of a fuss? <laughs> did someone, someone read my thought. screen rant and and sci-fi articles about justice for Aunt May that they were like, shit, we should probably correct this. <laughs> On characterization, I would like to say one of the things I thought as a criticism was the villains, the writing of the villains, as somebody who had just watched all of the Spider-Man <laughs> days before watching this, um, very inconsistent. <laughs> and I think the one issue with this film is that it it really exposes the quality differences between all the Spider-Man films. Because this one, um, it can't quite write the dialogue that Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molino used to have in the other Spider-Man films. And there's a couple of speeches in this where I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's really not quite as poetic as what Sam Raimi mm. came up with. And on the flip side, when you're dealing with the amazing Spider-Man villains, uh, I feel like the this movie didn't really know what to do with them because nobody remembers them, nobody really cares. And so you have somebody like Electro, who in his movie was a giant dork, and that was the character. He was and like, now he's, oh, now he's Jamie Foxx. <laughs> and now he just turns up, and he's like, Jamie Foxx is not even trying to do anything. He's just like, I'm me. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> but they also kind of, I mean, I don't know what you think, they also kind of like made and nodded to it, in a way. Yeah, but I feel I mean, like he was no like, excuse. I, I assume in his like, contract is like, look, I'm only coming back if you give me a good fade. Like, if you yeah. sort me out, I look fit. Like, he's like, none mention, of this comb-over malarkey. <laughs> I'm done with it. We should mention that Hannah Flint's squad cast name today is Jamie Foxx's fade, which is yeah, perfect. Yeah, man, it's fresh. Um, yeah, no, so fresh, I... So clean. <laughs> Clarice uh, is 100% right. That is my sort of one critique of this film as well. The, the villain writing is not consistent at all. At many points, I was wondering what certain villains' motivations were, uh, especially going into the big final battle. You know it's a big final battle in these films. It's not a spoiler. Um, Zoomies! <laughs> Zoomies! Um, going back to Hannah's Aunt May point for a second, I completely agree, first of all, and it was just great to see because, you know, one of my criticisms of the previous two Spider-Man movies is that Peter hasn't had the important conversations with the people in his life has been with yeah. the MCU elements, be it a Doctor Strange or Nick Fury or Tony Stark or Happy Hogan. Every time, you know, there's a serious conversation to be had, it's normally with those people. And they had Aunt May learn Peter's secret and the final sort of shot of, of Homecoming. And they haven't really done yeah. anything with that on a serious level. Um, and even, you know, there's a line early on in this film when Art may find out, when Art may find found out that I was Spider Man, she had a really good thing. I don't want to go through that again. All of that stuff has happened off screen. We haven't yeah. really seen that until this movie. We get the depth, we get the seriousness, we get the impact that being Spider Man has had on that relationship, and that was beautiful to see. I think I also remember after Homecoming, I do remember Marissa Tomei saying she had scenes cut. She mm. had she had shot scenes where she had that emotional, and I will say it's so interesting. You talk about um, 
uh, Clarice talk about the poet, poet poetry of it, um, and and there is you know I I, I think Art May in both uh, Toby Maguire and the Andrew Garfield, Sally Field and Rosemary Harris, they are given beautiful speeches to say mm. like really beautiful pieces, and I will say, I don't think it captured the same sort of uh, beauty. I'm just glad that we have a moment where we, I, I'm just glad that they've expanded that role. So actually you really recognize that like, yes, yeah, she, she is the moral compass. She is mm. Spider-Man's moral compass. Um, that's the whole point of it. No, not Tony Stark, not like, you know, happy Hogan or Nick Fury. Like that's, he grounds her. And I think they, and it's a shame that it, it's a shame that it's just taken so long for them to actually like acknowledge that. Mm. Um, but yeah. there we go. Um, I suppose um, you talk. I really like what you said about the the villain thing. I think that's it's interesting. I mean, but I suppose just getting all those actors back. I mean, I will say this: when Willem Dafoe, I, I just kept thinking to myself, uh, "God, he this is the most perfect, perfect casting," mm. and the man still got it. Like the man has still got it. That grit. <laughs> like there's a moment where like. He's like the grin comes out, and it's like you know they're having a kind of little little bit of battle. And again, not spoiler. Literally, there's going to be battling in this fucking movie, guys. Apologies um, <laughs> if that's a spoiler, but get a life. Um, <laughs> but like he has this like fre- frenzied, like crazed expression and smart. It's like I just like was giggling. I was like, oh my god, he's back. It's just yeah. it's just so yeah. perfect. I think that really worked. And Alfred Molina just looks really good. I just want to say that. Yeah, he's very hot. <laughs> the, the, he got their he hair really good. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, I'm a Doc Ock fan. I just really like Doc Ock. He looks good. That's the end of my comment. <laughs> I was just, I was going to comment about the de-aging, but you, you have to take it to the hot thing. It's fine. <laughs> do what you do. Yeah, but, um, but yeah. But they nah, gave him a new haircut. Everyone's getting new haircuts because his hair was yeah. like a bit of a bowl cut in the... Yeah. In, yeah. <laughs> Feel, feel free to change your squad cast name to Alfred Molina's fade or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, you mean uh, Alfred Molina's luscious locks. There you go. <laughs> <That's what it laughs> but yeah, I think the one uh, other thing to say about this movie before we go into spoilers is just that, you know, I, I've liked the Marvel films that we've gotten this year, but none of them have made me feel the way this movie has felt and just in terms of moments that, you really enjoy watching and re-watching on screen in a big crowd um, because there are multiple moments like that. Like in my screen, I think Clarice was there as well. There was clapping, there was cheering, there was whooping, there was shouting, all by me. Everyone else was completely silent. Um, no. Um, <laughs> well, I, that was I... me in my screen. <laughs> I, was like, I was at Curzon, Victoria, and there wasn't that many people in it. And I was just like, fuck it. Oh, I'm gonna make a noise, and then every time I kind of, I think some people were waiting for like someone to do it because there's a moment where like I start, I just like it was like yeah, and then still a couple of people in front was like yeah, yeah, we want to clap this. I was like yeah, clap. Don't tell your colleague at the independent though. And start in the wave. This is good, mate. Um, but yeah, um, just on that level, it's great. It might be a top five MCU film for me. Uh, I really, really loved it. Yes, I think if you've been in this if you've been in this Spidey franchise since day one for twenty years, mm. this is definitely a film that I suppose you know we talk about fan service and mm. but I think what I like about this is it's fan service but not at, at a disservice to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this reinforces everything that we've we we've loved about Spider Man over the years. 
and I suppose a celebration really. It felt like a real celebration of what made um, what made these this this hero why he's been brought back so many times and what made them great for each individual you know franchise as well. I'm a little more lukewarm on it just because I of the lack of emotional attachment to Spider-Man. I Shang-Chi is still my Marvel movie of the year. Ooh, I thought that movie really slapped. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> I loved it. I watched it again this week, actually. I think I'm it's so great. I'm so excited to watch it again. I think it's great. But I will say I went into it quite worried that I was just going to be like really feel really sour about it. Be like, oh, look at all this fan service. But I enjoyed it and I thought it was smart and it was cleverly done. You know, I have my reservations about some of the writing, but, um, like, they did it. They pulled it off. <laughs> okay, though. Uh, what do we reckon? Is it going to be a screen? Is it going to be a stream? Or is it going to be a skip? Hmm, who knows? Uh, Clarice? Yeah, go see it at the cinema. Like, Good. unless Good you just really don't want to. <laughs> but, like... Yeah. It's fun. You'll have a good time. Trust me. Amon? Skip if you're a moron. Screen for everybody else. 100% screen. Screen it and then come back here so you can listen to us go into super spoilery takes, hot takes, hot takes mm-hmm. on. I love how we've now changed it. It used to be. Hot take. Now it's changed. The we've gone for a different jingle. Oh, now we're in this. We're in phase two of our hot take jingles. <laughs> uh, um, now this is it. Stop what you're doing. Where were? Where were? Spider-Man spoilers. Where? See you, chump. Right. Let's get into it. I feel like uh, the two spiders in the room. <laughs> Oh, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield, finally! Ooh. Yeah! <laughs> Vindication! <laughs> so, I, I feel like, I, 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 I don't know about you guys, and I feel like I know Clarice's, but for me, I'm far more hyped about Andrew Garfield's uh, uh, arrival in this and what his whole story about it. So, Clarice, I'm going to go to you first because as a massive Garfieldy fan, tick tick boom. <laughs> Um, how did you how did you feel how do you feel about seeing Garfi back? Well, yeah, because I guess the Tobey Maguire Spider Man is my Spider Man because it was the one I watched when I was a child. But like, I'm sorry to say that Andrew Garfield like came into this movie on a fucking steamroller, just like <laughs> flattened everybody else. Like, embarrassing to the other Spider Man how good he is. With I would say relatively little screen time i mean they're not in it for that long um but the fact that he gets to crack like a shit ton of great jokes he he gets to be in a silly goofy mood (laughs) and then also gets his entire storyline from his movies getting an emotional closure in him saving yeah mj like we're talking about things that i didn't really clap for anything but when he did that, like, my hands went to my heart because I was yeah. like, oh, my God. He's just the look that he gave. He didn't need to say anything. I was worried they were going to be like, well, that went better than last time. Yeah. <laughs> no, he just gives a look to her. Like, there's tears in his eyes. And you're like, oh, my God. He yeah. doesn't need to go to therapy anymore. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, when he came in, 
as soon as I mean we could talk about Ned now being fucking magical. Yes. I mean, so Ned opening um that portal. The minute I saw that Spider Man, I was like, that is Andrew Garfield. I recognise that. I recognise that lan- lanky <laughs> lanky body. And it just made me like it just it really just made me so happy. Like I told you guys before we recorded, and this is like so lame and I don't give a shit. But like when he saved MJ, and as I mentioned, it would have been really fucking cool if, like, Spider-Gwen had come. But, you know, in the, if Spider-Gwen had come in and, like, Emma Stone had, like, saved MJ, that would have been my version. But this version, I think it was played so right, and it really makes, still makes me, like, well up, because he didn't get his Spider-Man 3. And I feel like this is his Spider-Man 3, and I think for him to have have this, and, and, and in a way, like, it kind of reminded me, he, he kind of reminded me a bit of, like, Jake Johnson in Into the Spider-Verse. In the sense of he'd been kind of lost. There's that really brilliant moment where he goes, "I stopped pulling my punches," and you realise he's this guy's really angry and like this is what he would have been like afterwards. Like what happened to him after losing Gwen? He got like mm. angry and got even more violent. And I think that's what was really brilliant about bringing the, both of them in was that, you know, we said about Spider-Man having Tom Holland need. He, there's these specific things that Spider-Man has to go through. And in a way, it was like they were there to guide him because, God, oh God, wait, oh, you know what? Let's let's not get into that yet. Come on, <laughs> Andrew Garfield. Amazing. Um, <laughs> that was not meant to be a pun. It just oh, came yes, out. But but yeah, um, really really great. Uh, very excited when he came back on screen. Um, when he when he revealed when he took off his mask, everyone went wild. At least to me, I I completely lost my shit. Um, it's, it was just so great to see him. Like Andrew Garfield, in the awards conversation this year for Tick Tick Boom, and just this is another reminder of how good of an actor he is. Um, it was really really cool, and everything he said is right. Very redemptive uh, on a number of levels, and it was just cool to see all these Spider Men on screen at the same time bouncing off each other it was cool to see how they are similar but also very different and how their differences helped them out not only in battle but just in maturing and learning especially when it came when it comes to tom holland spider-man um so yeah uh it was really really good to see uh that and it was cool just to have confirmation they've been speculated for so long uh people have been wanting it and you know we've already sort of had um, we we we've already had we had an instance earlier this year with WandaVision when people were speculating and speculating that not only the Mephisto thing but like the Magneto thing for Quicksilver and uh, the Quicksilver who's it going to be for Wanda all that sort of stuff and you no know, Marvel didn't give us that through no fault of their own should you know no, be mad at their them own, because Ralph Boner no because <laughs> like it, that. <laughs> That had all been fan speculation, like saying this is definitely like, you know, Reed Richards is definitely going to turn up. And then when it didn't happen, like the fans were mad. But like Marvel never claimed that that was in the cards. And they never they sort of claimed. They put Evan Peters in the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I'm still yeah. upset about that, that, that was a That was a bait and switch. As an X-Men fan, did not know. Right. Let's not talk about X-Men. Let's focus on Spider-Man. <laughs> sorry. My point, my point was that was all on us, even though they didn't give it to us. For this one, it could have been another situation where we've been wanting it, there's been speculation, and then they give it, didn't give it to us, but they gave it to us. And 
it was just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it when he was in a white lab coat. <laughs> yes. A, I mean, well, I think also it kind of shows, I think what you were saying earlier, Clarice, about like how amazing Spider-Man, I think, actually think Andrew Garfield is, is the best Spider-Man in the costume. Like he's the best. If you look, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I actually think he's the best Spider-Man because Spider-Man is the type of person that the minute he puts his mask on, he's just like zingers left, right and center. He's just so funny and so confident, which is totally against who he is as Peter Parker. And I actually really feel like Andrew Garfield just owned that. And you saw that again. But let, I mean, we could go on about Andrew Garfield and to be honest, mm. I feel like he should get Best Supporting Actor nominations. <laughs> so I wish I had some, I wish I'd seen this before mm. my Critic Circle nominations. <laughs> um, but let's talk about Toby because what I think was really interesting about him is that, you know, it's been 20 years and mm-hmm. his Peter Parker is that age. You, you really got the sense that this is a guy who's been doing this for 20 years, therefore, like, or oh, whatever, however many it is. But I liked, really liked his kind of very mature, understated, no longer this kind of, you know, the guy knows himself now. He's an adult. He's not a kid working out how to be a hero. He's been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that there is still the joy that comes with being a hero. You still get that from Tobey Maguire's, like my my favorite scene of the movie. I can't believe I've waited this long to say. Um, But when you have all the three Spider-Man running in unison, leaping off, swinging together, using their own webs to pull each other through the air and then landing in the perfect spider pose. Blew my mind, lost all chill, clapping, all the rest of it. But they, as they take off, they're like, you know, doing woo-hoo-hoo, all that sort of stuff. Uh, as a, a, There's still that joy, which is you no know, differing to Spider-Verse in a way because the elder Spider-Man that we see in that, he's you know, very much lost the joy of superheroing. And it was good to see Tobey Maguire still have that element to his Spidey. I enjoyed that. Spider Daddy. Yeah, he was. He really was, wasn't he? Father figure to yeah. them both, actually. Yeah. Sure, that's the thing. That's self-talk. We need to work on that self-talk. You are amazing. Let me hear you say it. Oh, that's yeah. great. <laughs> My favourite scene was when they cracked each other's backs. That was really yeah. good. You know what that's a callback to, right? No, because I it was a callback to the big old. <laughs> <laughs> no, in when Spider-Man Two was, uh, you know, in the planning stages way back when, Tobey Maguire all almost got recast because he had back issues. Oh no! So oh. so yeah, um, and there was some some contract oh, I didn't disputes know as that. well. That's good. Um, so so yeah, obviously they ultimately figured that out. Um, but but yeah. Well, yeah, Andrew Garfield came in and cried his back. Cried his back. <laughs> <laughs> like, come in, cry your back, steal your role. Um, I, I what I suppose we can talk with with Toby. You, I mean, that's one side of it, but you know, he obviously has the best villains, and we saw Doc Ock. Yes. Um, and and what do we think about the idea that like they're going back fixed? But also, let's talk about like that po- that that po- the, the symmetry there at the end. You know, with Norman Osborn. I mean that I like I I scream like I gasped when <laughs> when when got when Norman Osborn stabs Peter like jumps in and stabs him. I was like <gasps> it was one of those oh my god I'm literally my hands on my head and I was like oh my god and I was like wait a sec he can heal that's fine yeah. <laughs> I I loved uh, the symmetry in this up. yeah no it's great I just my my one of my worries going into the film was that Norman Osborn Norman Osborn in Spider Man One he's a terrifying son of a bitch. In that final fight, he's 
beaten on Peter something vicious. It's one of my favorite sort of fight scenes in any superhero movie ever. And I was wondering, you know, bringing him into the MCU where, you know, things aren't as, aren't are very rarely that violent. Will they keep him as terrifying as he needs to be? And they absolutely did that. One of my favorite beats in the film is in that first bite in Happy's Condo when Peter and Goblin oh. are going at it. Peter is pounding on Goblin. Goblin is smiling and laughing in his yeah, face. Yeah, that's what I was talking about in the number. It was like that awesome. Ah, like, oh, there he is. It was awesome. Yeah. I loved that. He was exactly as terrifying as he needed to be. And I loved that day. And I think that. one of my the best scenes in Spider-Man 1 is when Willem Dafoe is playing both Norman and the Goblin and the back yeah. and forth thing. And, you know, he didn't get as much time to do that, but we really got to expand on that in this one. I thought that was pretty mm. amazing. Um, I also love that we got the different, um, we got the goblin with the p- purple hood. Yes. Just like those little nods. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, but it was interesting. Doc Ock, I will say this, I didn't think he, I thought he was going to be more significant. I mean, as in, I thought he'd have more to say and stuff. Like, he's good, but I think it was, I don't know, I think it was in a way, it was like, they're, they're, it's, they're such big villains. In a way, they couldn't, I don't think they could do it for both. You know what I mean? Like, they had to pick and choose. And I think Goblin is a far easier person to to work with in that bit. He's got more of a connection to Spider-Man than Doc Ock, maybe, because of, like, you know, Harry and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I I would have liked more. There's certain stuff with the villains that just doesn't track. In that big condo fight, I think uh, Doc Ock gets blasted out of the building but he doesn't come back. He just, you know, runs, goes goes somewhere. And at that point, like, Peter has cured him. That's very much this Otto Octavius and not Doc Ock. Yeah, that So what's going sense. on there? The, the, there's one part, and there's one, at one point in that fight, Peter goes to the outside and then Lizard gets hold of him, like, actions have consequences and pounds him back inside where Goblin is waiting. Then Lizard goes off. We don't know if Lizard and Goblin are working together. We don't know. It's just very unclear. And then the next time we see them, you got four of the villains attacking at once, and then Goblin decides to rock up 15 minutes later. Well, no, it's Why not didn't... four of the villains attacking at once, is it? It's three, and then Ock comes to help. Right, it's to three, help, and then, yeah. Help, yeah. help out, because he turns up late, because yeah. he obviously is... I mean, I can kind of forgive that a little bit, but I, I, I will say, um, with Lizard, it kind of it kind of was a bit of a forgotten... Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a nothing thing. Also, it didn't make yeah. sense that they would leave him in the van. Like, why would they leave him in the van? He can rip out that van. <laughs> He um, elected to stay in the van. Yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah. It's like he elected to stay yeah. in the van, but it's also like, dude, yeah. get the fuck up, sirs. <laughs> um, yeah. the, uh, how do you think they handled like Doctor Strange? I think getting him out of the bit, getting out of the way, that was a really good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because we've seen Peter Parker be very smart and sciencey out of the suit. We see that all the time. We very rarely see it in the mm. heat of battle. And we do, the fact that he beats the master of the mystic arts, the Sorcerer Supreme and all but name, I know that, you know, he's not technically, I love that he's salty about that, by the way. Um, but, you know, Doctor Strange, he's doing some next level magic in this film. And Peter defeats him through the power of math. We get to see how smart he is and how nerdy he is and how much of an asset that is in the heat of battle. We have never seen that in a Spider-Man movie before. One of the best scenes in the movie for me. I... I'm not a big Doctor Strange fan. <laughs> I think one of my other minor issues, I mean, it's not a big issue, is that the beginning of this movie, the, the speed through which we get, that he gets rejected from college, he goes to Doctor Strange, they do the spell, the spell breaks. It goes very fast, and 
you know how everyone was theorizing that Doctor Strange was like, what was it, like a scroll or a multiverse? Like he wasn't being I himself. I hated that. But I, I kind of see why that theory was happening, because I don't think his character is all that well written in those opening scenes. I get he's arrogant. I get he's, but he, he goes very quickly, like, yeah, sure, I'll do this spell, whatever, let's go. <laughs> and it reminded me of the opening of Thor Ragnarok, which I right, also, yeah. you know how, like, the opening of Thor Ragnarok, you can tell Taika wants to get to the, um, the fun stuff, so he kind of speeds through that first 15 minutes, and it's, like, a lot of information, and some of the characters aren't really acting like themselves. It That's the vibe that I got, and I understand that it's, it's a thing that does happen with Marvel sometimes when you get um, a new storyline and a director wants to get to that storyline. The opening of the film will be very like, and blah, 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 blah. Yep. yeah, get it. I disagree. Like to me, everything that Doctor Strange does is well within his makeup as as ha- as he's been written in the MCU since twenty sixteen. Um, the fact that honestly, the fact that he's asking for permission from Wong at all is, you know, a sign of minor progression. Doctor Strange from 2016, he wouldn't have done that. Um, you know, so so on that level, um, I think it completely... Like, is, is there anything specific in terms of Doctor Strange and well, that spell that you okay, have Well, okay, this with? wasn't actually my point. This was, I was talking to Ali Plum about this, and he yeah, mentioned yeah. this, and I was like, that's a really good point. <laughs> like, Doctor Strange at no point... The thing with the college admissions... Yeah. That he only finds out afterwards that Peter yeah. didn't talk. Like, the fact that he didn't ask him before is like, Doctor Strange is meant to be a smart man. And he immediately goes, let's do a spell. It's just a little bit like... But then isn't that what... Don't they answer that by saying, I forget that you're a kid because you've done all these things. He was shows respect for Peter as the idea he assumed yeah. he would have done that. Because he's like, mm-hmm. but he forgot that this is actually a 16-year-old or whatever. Like, he, yeah. because he's done the earth-saving thing, he does, says that he forget, he, like, you know. And also, I will say this, and again, in defence of, like, I think we, he was blipped for five years and came back and his whole world has changed. Um, you know, again, he was Sorcerer Supreme. That was, in a way, like, a after losing, you know, the Ancient One all this, to come back and then feel, you know, he's an arrogant person. So the idea of having to do stuff, so I can see him being a bit more of a loose cannon, getting back to the kind of loose cannon, I don't give a shit talk about attitude. It's the reason why he was speeding round that corner and ended up crashing his car because he doesn't care about rules. He wants to do what he wants. Like when he's a surgeon, he was like, I'm going to do the surgery. I'm going to take it. So in a way, it's like he's, he's, a, he's it's in a way, somewhat reckless because of his like arrogance. And I think that in a way captures really who Doctor Strange is. That's why I think he did that spell. And also, they actually changed the line from the trailer because in the initial trailer, Wong is like, don't do that spell. In the film, Strange is like, I've done this spell before. Do you remember this party? And Wong's like, no, it's like, exactly. Because I've done this before. I can do it. We're going to be fine. So even on that level, it's making him sort of slightly less reckless or arrogant or whatever. But he's still still Doctor Strange. He still has all those qualities. I didn't. I didn't get any whiplash from the writing or anything like that. Um, we can talk about. I mean, we know what the end credits and end, end credit scene was. That's we just had some thoughts on that. that. Uh, this is the. This is by the way. If you saw my tweet saying a guy crows about the complaining about <laughs> I it, saw it that, yeah. it's like the trailer ruined it. And he was like, I was expecting a little. I was expect, we're supposed to get a scene. I was like, dude, you got the trailer. It's like, yeah, but it's gonna be out in a couple of weeks. I was like, what the fuck? 
fuck? Like, you want, what, sorry, did you want Howard the Duck? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what did you want? Yes. Like, what, they don't owe you shit, mate. <laughs> Enjoy it. I love that because. Me that, too, it was awesome. Well, what that really confirmed, and it was so funny because there's this, there's this guy sat next to me and, like, he was kind of, he was clearly a Marvel person, although he had not seen Loki. And I was like, dude, you need to catch the fuck up. And he oh, answered, what if? And I think that confirmed. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, dude, where are your credentials? Don't talk to me. Like, come back to me. Turn in your badge. Um, trying to explain it. But that trailer was, I thought, was really interesting. Um, because not only it confirmed that we're going to see what if Doctor Strange coming in, but also I loved the fact that we're going to see America Chavez. Uh, yes. a character that I really enjoyed and it also re- it's really confirming to me that we're going to get Young Avengers because like it's all 100%. coming together fam uh, Clarice yeah. yeah someone who doesn't like Doctor Strange but you did like Wanda Vision well maybe this is just me but the the trailer seems to imply that Wanda's just like she's going to be there like helping and I I thought the storyline was more going to be like Wanda's gone crazy with power because she's the fucking Scarlet Witch and she can she's like the most powerful being in the universe, and I was really excited for that storyline because um, I know people have issues with this and I know lots of people don't like Wanda being a bad guy, but I love her being a bad guy. Oh because yeah, I do. It's such a good message about like how how painful grief can be yeah. and how grief can make you do and Doctor uh, Strange bad things. His yes. what if character. This is why I think exactly. I, I, I will. I think you're speaking too soon. Yeah, I hope. I, I actually, I think they're holding it back because from what we saw at the end of One Division, she wants to get Tommy and Billy. Yeah, and I think what's going to happen, Benedict, uh, Doctor Strange is going to kind of like work together. She needs to control her magic. She's hopefully doing the work. She's been doing, you know, doing some <laughs> But I think it's going to be. Books. I think in a way we're going to see this kind of switch in the sense of like. I think we could end up having Wanda go get pulled back into that and do some okay. terrible things. But I, I, I really do not... I don't think you should worry that we're not going to see conflicted Wanda yeah. because I don't think she's healed and I think she's always yeah. going to be towing that line between good and bad. Yeah. That's what makes the character interesting, mm. for well, I sure. Just, I just worry that the, the writers got scared because... Like you know, they wanted to be like, we gotta have really good, like, positive female role models. So we gotta make, and it's like, no, I want a bad female role model. No, no, exactly. <laughs> but then I don't think they did that with One Division. I think that's what's great about no, it. That's I think what's good about and, it. And 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 also, it goes back to what Mom was saying a bit earlier about like how um, you know they don't confirm, they don't give you everything that you think you know. Like they, you know, mm. I think in a way we we want answers immediately, but why mm-hmm. it's so good, the Mar- Marvel is that they refuse to answer it, they, they're going to do it their own way, and they won't give you, you know, as much as, you know, we knew that Andrew and Toby were going to be, and I think they stuck to their guns. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, keeping things secret, <laughs> uh, it wasn't the only cameo that we saw. Uh... <laughs> Venom! We should Venom actually... is here! No, Venom is not! I'm not even talking yes! about that! Fuck oh, Benham. wow, okay. I don't give a shit. All right, fine. Sorry. <laughs> Benham, Tom Hardy, he was in a bar. Cool. Loved it. Loved seeing what's-his-face from Ted Lasso. Okay. Danny, Danny I... Rojas. Danny Rojas. Do you think Danny Rojas is going to get that guy, the, the actor, do you think that character is going to be like a new Venom because there was a lot of Venom so. left over? I think, Mate, I you think don't I know. It could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say I'm very... Ex- that I loved that scene because... 
it was the one thing I wanted was Venom to not be in the MCU because I knew if they put Venom in the MCU, they would not let Eddie and Venom be together. But now that he can stay in his own universe and hopefully Andy Serkis will come back to do the next Venom, we can oh we can continue the love story and they can fuck as God intended. <laughs> and I right, wish happy. they did that, I'd be more interested in that Venom. I would actually, as I said, I think we. my issue with Venom is that it's not bloody violent and profane enough. It needs to be yes. an R8. I think it needs to be an 18 certificate. But I think there's more chance of that happening now that they've yeah, now finally gone. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Hardy I, has said no to the MCU. He's staying in his own thing. Uh, I I also wanted Venom out of the MCU, but for much different reasons. So I'm just going to say yay on that. Yay. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, sorry. Let's move on because I feel like we're, again, we're, there is another Daredevil in the room. Speaking of Eminem, yeah, that was a really Matt Murdock officially in. I mean, we kind of knew this after Kevin Feige talked about Matt Murder. I was like mm. he doesn't Feige doesn't say anything unless there's <laughs> like that he, he doesn't he's not gonna bring it up um what I, I like that I kind of wanted to, I was a bit like yo daredevil this shit's going down in your fucking city <laughs> where are you mate um but how do we I thought it was a great I thought it was great it was perfect yep great perfect loved it I love that we focus on the cane and then we pull out to actually see Charlie yeah. Cox's daredevil I, I love yeah. <laughs> I love that there is some you know, Marvel synergy here because if you remember in 2003's Daredevil starring Ben Affleck, uh, do you remember who played Foggy Nelson in that movie? Wait, John, John Favreau. Favreau. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Who is in that scene. So there's a bit of sort of Marvel synergy there as well, which I like. I love that Peter is also going for the brick that's thrown through the window. Just Matt gets there first. Yes. And just it's just How so great. You? It's like... I'm just a really good lawyer. Yes, you are. Uh, yeah, so I can't wait. You know, um, spoilers for Hawkeye episode five. Uh, but uh, oh, oh. <laughs> I haven't watched it. <laughs> okay, I shall say nothing then. I'm sorry, but is oh, it about wow. Daredevil? I've never seen that TV show, so it's not going to mean anything to me if you talk about it. No, no, no. <laughs> There's a thing that happens at the end of. Okay. Hawkeye episode five, which you I can't believe you haven't watched it. Oh yeah, sorry, you. yeah, I know exactly. Uh, <laughs> Basically, what we're seeing here is finally, finally, we're gonna get uh, some MCU uh, Marvel Netflix characters. Uh, when are we getting Jessica Jones? We already know yes. that John yeah, Bernthal like isn't gonna come as Punisher, and this is what. And I actually agree with Do him. We? Yeah, he says he's not gonna. He's like, you, what? And it makes sense. And this is why I have qualms about Moon Knight because Moon Knight is one is like as violent as yeah. as the Punisher. And as you said earlier on, Amon, MCU does not go that violent. Um, and, and, and I think unless they're going to allow, they finally allow some R-rated series and allow that not every film has to be four quadrants for everyone. Like we can make some stuff mm. that are specifically, because I just don't even, like Moon Knight carves like Crescent Moons into bad guys' heads. Like how are you going to show, mm. anyway, whatever. Enough about Moon Knight. Right. Mm. I, it, I, I feel like the final thing that I really care about talking about is again is Aunt May. It's bittersweet because she got the Uncle Ben moment. That was mm. really meaningful and I love that that's how they're gonna do it in this and it made sense because Peter Park cannot become the Spider Man that he's meant to be unless Uncle Ben dies. That's a big point. And I think for this to have mm. Aunt May be the one that dies, it kind of it felt yes, that's exactly right for this franchise. It's a shame that they didn't build they couldn't didn't build to this in the previous two films, but I just mm. could not have asked for 
a more powerful climax to that story and really set Tom uh, Tom's Spider-Man on this like new journey as like now an adult. Yep, I agree. The one thing, well, the one last thing I want to mention really quickly is that I love what they did with the Peter MJ relationship in this movie because again like in the previous two movies like in the in the first homecoming movie like he's crushing on an entirely different character and he only really takes notice of mj sort of you know late later on in that film then the second film is more of like a, a crush it's a cute thing but there's not much depth to it in here we see the depth we see how comfortable they are with each other as a scene early on uh which has a really great happy hogan joke because like um uh peter and mj are sort of facetiming each other and, and Happy's like, you know, okay, that's enough, hang up, we like each other, we get it, you know, hang up, it's done. And you, you, you're not breaking any new ground. And on one hand, you know, yes, he's right, and it's funny, but on the other hand, it is breaking new ground, because you haven't really seen that part of their relationship before until this film. You really felt the love and the connection and the moral sort of compass that, uh, that, that MJ can be for Peter as well in this film. And I, I really love the aspect, that aspect of their relationship. I just gonna add again andrew garfield great yeah. <laughs> I like you were about to disagree with me on something no i just okay. i was oh, like God, oh, when he says gwen, i lost gwen there's so much crying in this movie and i, I will say it. the scene i really right. loved the little bit of his performance i really loved is there was there was a moment where after aunt may dies where peter parker to the other spider-man's like you you couldn't fucking possibly know what i've been through and the look yeah. on andrew garfield's face of like yeah. Bitch. Bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> we didn't want to talk about yeah. loss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A very good little moment. That was beautiful. I was angry at Tom Holland's Spider Man at that point. Like, what the fuck? Mm. Don't speak about don't things you don't things you don't know about. Mm. <laughs> and what's beautiful about that moment for me as well is like when Uncle Ben dies, they had Aunt May. He doesn't mm, have yeah. an Aunt May or an Uncle Ben, therefore who better to be there, like, than his brother, like, the other Spider-Man. Mm. And it, what I loved about that, it also confirmed to me that Tony Stark was not his Uncle Ben. And I think I needed that explicitly to happen, because yeah. fuck <laughs> that, because he's like, yeah. you know. And also, I love the fact they talked about, like, in this film, about him being poor. They don't talk about that enough. It's like, yeah, we're poor. Mm. We can't say that. We need to go somewhere else. Um, and yeah. also, one another thing on the MJ thing, I really like the fact, and this might be, I don't know, this might be a little nod thing, but... There's a bit where she says, I, it's, it's, it's Michelle Jones, not Watson. And as we saw, do you remember in the Spider-Man first film, we know when Mary Jane Watson has an abusive father. And I wonder if yeah. that's why, I think that's, I think that was like a little mm. nod. Do you think, I think that's a little nod to say, she that's doesn't use really Watson's thing because her dad's a dick. And so it's like, fuck Watson, that's why she uses Jones. That's a really good point. It's a really good catch. I did not consider that. There you go. There you go. I have a question. Or no, Clarice has something to say. I have a question. question. Where the fuck was Pepper Potts in any of this? This is the one issue I don't. Uh, that's a good question. Yes, I did think this. Falcon and the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. had this problem as well of characters saying they don't have any money. It's like, where is where is Stark Industries? Where is Pepper Potts? Yeah, like, why yeah. is she not mm-hmm. giving money to these people? I don't understand. Yeah. Why is nobody making a statement in defense of Spider Man who helped save the universe with the other heroes? Like, you know, Sam Wilson. Like, it could have easily been a thing where they have like the new Captain America. Sam Wilson has made a statement. He does not believe that. But Spider-Man I also, is but I also think that's the, the that's the. It's like why didn't Daredevil help out when he just introduced Matt Murdock? I think in a way we have to accept that. Um, 
you're not going to get that, especially as the, when the timelines of these things happening. They've got mm. shit going on. They've all got their own things going mm. on in their own little world. So I'm, right. I'm, 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 in a way, I didn't want that. I don't think you need mm. that um, mm. at all because, mm. again, it's like, you know, given this distrust, distrust for the Sokovia Accords and all that type of thing, whatever, mm. like, I don't know, people... People have got bigger fish to fry, and I suppose in a way mm. you have the representative from Stark Industries. You've got Happy Hogan there, so mm. yeah. And who knows? In the, they might have done that, but people aren't listening because I think that's the whole point. That's why they, that's why they had J. Jonah Jameson being like this Breitbart kind of um, mm. right ultra white right wing Fox News type um, uh, news outlet who they can be told the truth and they refuse to believe it. And I think that's that. I think in a way it's like they probably did do shit like that, but they don't need to signpost it. Yeah, I'm only just. I'm always just concerned. I always get a bit confused about the money in these movies. Yeah, like, yeah. who is getting money yeah. from where? Because it's very. Yeah, <laughs> it's a okay. bit strange. I, we should wrap up. I have only one final question, but it is a big one. So feel free to take your time. Spider-Man: No Way Home is the best live-action Spider-Man movie. Yes no. or no? No. Ooh, it's the best of this franchise. It's the best yes. of the yes. Tom Holland franchise. You think Spider-Man Two is better? Absolutely. Raimi's. But also, I actually, I actually think, I think Spider-Man, I actually like the original Spider-Man the best. Interesting. I think, because also that's the one we got Willem Dafoe in, really. Mm -hmm. And Spider-Man 2 is the, I mean, that's the thing. Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 are the best. And then I would say, I'd say Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man, no way hope. That would be my... But Spider-Verse, but Spider-Verse is better than that. Yeah, but I don't even, yeah, but, but that's a different, whole different kettle of fish, like... And also, and actually, <laughs> because in a sense of like, I'm saying that's its own its own beast and beauty. Like, of course, that's amazing. Like, but I'm saying live action. I'm keeping live action the thing. Okay, and I will action. say that literally Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse walked so Spider-Man No Way Home can run. Like, 100%. there's so much about that. that you and, and that's not to say that they haven't done this in the comic books. Of course, there are other things they have written on it. But like, I wonder how much of an idea they had to do this after the massive success and learn how to do it well. Because I think that's the issue of Spider-Man 3. There's too much going on. And you wonder if there's too many, you know, too many cooks, could it work there? And I think they balanced it really well. And that's why this one worked really well. And I think Into the Spider-Verse showed how you can do that. Chris, anything to add? Andrew Garfield. Should have known. Should have known. Sorry, I don't have anything else to say. I honestly like, it's like I can't stop seeing him saying, "Are you okay?" Oh, and it just please makes me get cry. this man his Oscar, please. I'm begging oh, you. God. God. I should probably mention I spoke to Andrew Garfield the day before the screening for Spider-Man: No Way Home because my I interviewed him for Enemy, which will be up uh, next week. Uh, I asked him about Spider-Man. I have never been so happy to be lied to in my life. Mm. Thank you, Andrew Garfield, wherever you are. Because um, he told me that he, he was not involved. <laughs> like son of a bitch. Uh, he's a very good actor, what can I say? Um, but yeah, uh, very, very good. Very, very happy for him. Uh, but on that note, that is it for episode 42, the penultimate 2021 episode for the Fate of Black podcast. We are nearing the end of the year crazy uh thanks for tuning in and happy viewing by whatever medium is the safest for you do subscribe rate and leave us a review if you love the podcast because it really does make a difference people and tweet us if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week use the hashtag fade to black pod and follow us i am at amon woman on twitter and instagram 
I am at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah Ines Flint on Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Do you remember that part where Batman came in and like threw his batarang at Spider-Man and like Spider-Man dodged it? It was incredible. You see that? Yeah, my favourite, my favourite bit is when Baby Yoda came through (laughs) and he like, and he bitch slapped Electro. That for me was like, oh, just too much. Little Grogu coming through. Five stars. Um, I enjoyed it when Deadpool appeared and he was like, Oh my god, corporate synergy much? (laughs) (laughs) Hugh Jackman joke. (laughs) See ya, chump.